Dash podcast with Pastor Rick Hill, Senior Pastor of Grace Community Church in Rawls, New Mexico. I'm Marie Manning. What an honor it is to have you join us today. Our goal at Living Your Dash is to better help you connect the dots of discipleship so that you can find and fulfill God's purpose for your life. Let's join Rick and Sean with this week's podcast. All right, thank you so much, Marie, for introducing us to today's Living Your Dash podcast. We're at podcast number 90. What do you think about that, Rick? Wow, time flies when you're having fun. It really is. I mean, we are, I mean we're only 10 episodes away from, in a, from 100. And that's difficult to do, honestly. It's, uh, there are a lot of podcasts that start off and just kind of fizzle out. It takes a lot of energy, so I appreciate your... Well, it's been a great experience. I've loved our time and hope our audience is enjoying these as well. It's totally selfish for me because I always learn something new. Uh, and I hope that uh, the, the audience is, is coming along and they're understanding and um, they're enjoying the process as well. Rick, you made a profound statement about the parables that I think is really instructive that uh, you said parables begin uh, about someone else and it ends up being about me. Did I say that right? Uh, Absolutely, absolutely. And you have to think of it like this, Sean, that when you're looking, when you're reading a parable, it's like looking through a window. You're looking through a window at other characters, other people, but by the end of the story, the window becomes a mirror. Yeah. And I, I don't think it's any accident. Jesus was a very wise communicator. Think of it this way. Um, a parable, it's, it's kind of like a baited hook when you're fishing. Mm-hmm. You know, what, what do you put bait on a hook? Well, it's to draw the fish in. Yeah. It's to, and then uh, ultimately the fish gets caught. Yeah, they eat. Same, yeah. They, <laughs> same with the same. Oh, now, don't push the analogy too far. But parables are the same way. They're. It, the the story is like the bait on the hook. They draw you in, mm-hmm. but the goal that Jesus has in a parable is to really catch us. Right. What good is a parable? It's not going to change my life if it's about you. Yeah. It's only gonna, it's only going to transform me and impact me if I get hooked. If I get hooked into the parable. So when you read parables, watch what happens. At first, it's like a window. And at the end, it's like a mirror. And it always says, what about you? What needs to change in your life? Right, and that makes total sense. I mean, Jesus wasn't trying to be an entertainer uh, or a, a, a comedian or, a, or, or even a moralist. No, he, he was, was a transformer. Yeah. Transforming people's lives. That was his vision. And this makes me think deeply that Jesus always knew his parables uh, would be enduring. That for the next 2,000 years at least his stories would be told again and again and again, and they're still as potent today as they were when he told them on those uh, Judean hills or on boats or wheat fields. Um, in your opinion, is, is there like a majesty, a genius about the use of parables? I mean, he didn't, he didn't bring up bullet points. He didn't, uh, I, I don't know, you know, he, he used stories instead of statutes. So if so, I don't know, what do you think that is? Yeah, it's because people remember a story. I can't tell you how many times people will come up to me weeks, months, John, literally sometimes even years later, and they'll say, you know, Rick, I remember that story that you told mm-hmm. about such and such. Sean, I cannot remember ever someone coming up and saying, you know, Rick, those three bullet points you gave, 
People don't remember bullet points, yeah. but they remember a story. Yeah. Why? And it's because a story fleshes out the bullet points. Nothing wrong with bullet points. Right. But when you get the give the bullet points and then you tell a story. So let me give you an example of that. People will remember the story and in the midst of the story, the bullet points are there. The story simply fleshes them out. Right, right. Well, this week we entered into a new section which coincides with the purpose of ministry. Um, do you find it funny that all the purposes, I mean, when you were going through this, all these parables, did, did you find it kind of funny or ironic that, that all the purposes are represented? Yeah, it, in one level I was amazed. I, I was kind of thrilled yeah. as I you laid out you know, the five purposes God has for our life. And if you, by the way, if you ever want to dig into this, just read Rick Warren's uh, The Purpose Driven Life. Yes. You know, What on Earth Am I Here For mm-hmm. is the title of the new edition. And he, he really explains, biblically, God has five purposes for your life. And I, I was intrigued that the parables that, that I chose to, to use in this uh, series, which is a lot of them, yeah. over 20, it, it, they fit very nicely into one of the categories. So in one way, I was excited, but then I thought, well, I'm not really surprised because right. what is Jesus doing? He's helping people learn what is your purpose for life. So God wants, and Jesus in the parables wants us to find our purpose, and then here's how you fulfill it in a, in a day-to-day way. It, it really makes sense that there is consistency. I mean, why would Jesus be teaching these these stories, and they have nothing to do with, with his main purpose of helping us find our purpose? Yeah, when, you know, Jesus said, I have come that you may have life. He wants us to... That doesn't just mean eternal life. He wants us to live life to the fullest right here and right now. So let Jesus' parables explain to you why you are on planet Earth and then how you can daily live that out. I I call that success. Yeah. What a masterful teacher our master is. I mean, I I think any child really could, I, I I, I think any child could listen to his stories and they would instantly understand, like for instance, the parable of the Good Samaritan. They would think, you know, I, I want to be like that Good Samaritan. I want to I be nice to my friends or nice to strangers. Absolutely. Uh, or somebody with a PhD in theology or something else, they would instantly recognize the simplicity and yet uh, I think everybody at some point is going to say, oh, I, this, is, this is about more than understanding a story. This pertains to my, my, my moral ethics and everything that I do. Right? Yeah, simple doesn't mean simplistic. Right. Simple is profound. Yes. All right, so this week, of course, you did go through the, the parable of the Good Samaritan, which, you know, I think almost everyone knows. Uh, in fact, I kind of wonder if that's the problem. You know, you, you've heard that phrase that familiarity uh, leads to indifference or even contempt. What might help the disciple out there to reframe and relearn from a parable that we frankly diminish because it's so familiar to us. Yeah, and that was a concern when I got up to speak Sunday morning. My my first concern was people will go, Oh, good Samaritan parable. Yeah, I heard that. Several times. Yeah. <laughs> Tune <heard> out. That. <laughs> and so what I tried to do and, and I and this is the way we need to approach parables is to always ask 
this very simple question. Which mm. character in the story best reflects me? Ooh, well, it, and so yeah. in this particular, the parable of the Good Samaritan, you ask the question, okay, which character best reflects the way I respond to a person in need? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. That's how you get the message into your life of the parable. But if you if you approach a parable saying, oh yeah, I've heard this one. Uh, give me one that I haven't heard. That's where familiarity breeds contempt. Yeah. And we have to avoid that. Yeah, yeah. And of course, uh, folks, if you haven't listened to Rick's message yet online, I'll put the link in uh, the description. But you need to make sure it's a fanta- that you hear it because it's a fantastic message. Uh, so the, the, the setup before the parable um, was when an expert in the law uh, was trying to trap Jesus in his words by sneaking in, well, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Um, and instead of answering outright, I find this very interesting. Jesus kind of turns the tables on him and says, well, what does the law say? How do you read it? Do you think that that, that was kind of clever of Jesus to draw him out for the kill, so to speak? Maybe I shouldn't say it that way. But, you know, was basically, is Jesus trying to be clever? Yeah, I have a challenge. I'm going to lay out a challenge, Sean, for you in the audience. Oh, okay. Now, here it is. And I've, I've noticed this over and over in studying the Gospels. When a person approaches Jesus with a genuine, sincere question, he will answer. Mm. However, when someone like the expert in the law uh-huh. approaches Jesus with a trick question or a question designed to trap him in some way, you watch. Jesus will respond with another question. Interesting. It is interesting. Yeah. So here's this guy, and Jesus knows this guy's heart. Yeah. You're not yeah. going to pull one over on Jesus. That's right. Uh, he knows He knows the, the motives <laughs> of our heart. So Jesus knew this guy. He wasn't coming for a genuine, authentic answer. Yeah. No. He had, he had a poor motives. He was trying to trap Jesus in some maybe little minutia point right. of the law. That was his goal. Yeah. And so what does Jesus do? He answers his question with another question. Yeah. Now, where you'll really see this is at the end of Jesus' ministry, the last week, when the Jews are trying to trap him and the Sadducees and the Pharisees are shooting questions at him. Watch how often Jesus will just respond right back with another question. Like, yeah. Well, you know, who, who do you say? Well, who do you say? Yeah. Who do you say that I am? Uh huh. Over and over and over, you see that. I love that. I, I I think isn't there 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 is a scripture isn't there where where it says that the the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees finally gave up. Oh yeah. It's like oh, no no we're not we're we're not boxing with him anymore. You know when you have so much <laughs> egg on your face that you look like an omelet. Yeah. <laughs> That's where you say, I think we'll quit. Yeah, yeah. Certainly there's another way that we can kill him. Um, you know, I, maybe it's a good thing he was a, you know, and I'm giving air quotes here, right? He was an expert uh, because I, I guess he got it right, you know? I, I mean, I, I think that he, he, it's the Shema when he, when he answered back to Jesus. Um, he answered from Deuteronomy 6.4 with loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. So... Um, what might it mean that, that he didn't mention the first part, hero Israel, that Yahweh or Jehovah is one? one? One might say, well, you know, it's not necessary. Everyone understands the redundancy. But 
I don't know. It just seems odd to me that the the expert wouldn't say it. Yeah, I don't know the answer, and it, mm-hmm. I, I wish Jesus would have commented on. Yeah. I wish Jesus would have said. Yeah. Uh, by the way, why did you leave out the first line yeah. of the Shema? Which I mean, it is here, O Israel, Yahweh is one. Yeah, uh, yeah. Maybe the reason the guy left it out was he was he was forgetting that you know God is in control. God yeah. is o- over everything. So, yeah, I don't know. That's a great question. I was thinking that well. I think that he, that maybe he spent so much time looking at the, the particular law, the, mm. the, the the this stroke or that jot or that tittle, and um, and he forgot that you know the law. There is a lawgiver, and are you scribe or Pharisee or, or or expert in the law? Are you forgetting what who who you're talking about? So it is interesting that on another occasion. Jesus said, "You know, you you uh, Jewish leaders, you you think you're going to find life in the Scripture." Yeah. And he said, "The problem is, the Scripture is pointing to me." To me. So you know, it's like you're you're missing the point. Yeah. If you would really understand Scripture, then you would understand that I am the one the Scripture points to. Right. And you would be looking at me for the answers rather than trying to find your salvation in the study of Scripture. I think, for me, I think that there's always been, I, I remember talking to Kevin about this, that there, were, there was a time when I was really, in high school, I was really reading the Scriptures a lot, listening to Christian radio, mostly to pastors, and I was really getting a lot of knowledge, and I was getting big-headed about it. Yeah. And it did not affect my heart. Until one day, somebody basically called me out and said, "You're kind of a jerk." <laughs> and I, even though I, th- I, I knew he was, uh, even though I thought he was wrong, I knew he was right. Uh, and that was the the turning point. And I wish I could have gone up and and found him and said, "You're right. I am a jerk. I'm a real big jerk. I'm sorry." So, so we know the whole story uh, was to answer the question, "Who is my neighbor?" So and it was it was asked by this expert in the law who was who was trying to justify himself. But I, I don't know. I, maybe it is a good question. Uh, you you even mentioned this mere proximity. Did you say it this way? Mere proximity to a person doesn't doesn't make a person a neighbor. It's it's the context of relationship. Something like that. Yeah. Um, so does this mean that everyone is my neighbor? How can I be? How can I possibly be responsible for everyone? Well, I think there's the key word. You know. We are, I am not responsible for everyone. Okay. The scripture is very clear. Uh, you're responsible for you. I'm responsible for me. On judgment day, guess what? I'm not going to stand up in your place. No, no, yeah. no. You're on your own job. <laughs> yeah. And I'm on. Everyone will stand before God to give an account of what? Of his or her life. Right. Not other people. Not your spouse. Not your children. They're on their own. Um, so I'm not responsible for everyone. However, I am responsible to everyone. Ah. And there's all the difference in the world. Sean, you're responsible for your life. But when I see you in need, I have a responsibility to you mm. to, to serve you, to help you in, in whatever way I can. Yeah. Now, sometimes it may be simply because of my resources, my gifting, I may not be able to help you a lot, but on other occasions, I might be able to help you 
a, a lot instead yeah. of a, a little. So it's the old thing of my responsibility is to love everyone. That doesn't mean I can meet every need, but it does mean I can be looking to meet some needs yeah. in your yeah. life. I remember another another speaker put it this way that I, I can't fill everyone's cup, but I can empty mine. Yeah. And and it's based upon uh, yeah, like you said, I think the the who who's in my sphere of influence. So if I if I can help Rick Hale, I see him on the side of the road, I have a relationship with you and I really ought to help you. Yeah, and if you really believe in the sovereignty of God, that he is actually orchestrating our lives what he will do in our life Sean is he will send people who have needs and and those people will intersect our lives yeah and it those at those divine appointments those divine intersections that's where God says okay I want you to meet that need hmm. you know sometimes people say well I can't meet all all the needs in the world so I just won't meet any of them uh, you know and they kind of use that as their excuse yeah yeah just Look around. Look around. As you're going down the road of life, just like the Samaritan, uh, that's the Samaritan didn't meet all the needs of everybody on the planet that right. day. He just met the one that was in front of him. Yeah. So look at the needs in front and say, God, is this one, have you placed this need in my life? If you have, then uh, I'm here. I'll, I'll, I'll do what I can to meet that need. It occurred to me while you were preaching this on Sunday that, that I thought, you know, if God leads me to help somebody, then, uh, I mean, in the back of my mind, I might think, I don't know if I have the, it's usually not the resource, resource is not the issue, it's, it's, it's the time, and, and sometimes it's, it's this essence of, of well, then I'll be res- more responsible for them, and that's really the issue, uh, but I'm thinking, you know what, if God leads me to do that, I, he'll supply whatever love or whatever care or concern or or compassion, which is, of course, the, the nature of this whole, me- your message was compassion. He'll supply that to me. Absolutely. And that, yeah, I mentioned, I do, I confess to people that that's one of my uh, great weaknesses is a fear of a long-term commitment. Yeah. You know, I, I like to meet needs quickly, uh-huh. but the long-term investment yeah, I'll go, oh, my goodness. And yet that's what, in a way, that's what the Good Samaritan did. He met the need that day. Uh, he made sure the next day the guy was cared for. And then he told the innkeeper, if you remember the story, yeah. hey, next time in town, I'll, I'll you know, keep a tab. I'll, I'll pick up the tab on this guy. Yeah. That's called long-term. Yeah. And very often we, we don't meet the immediate need for fear of a long-term commitment. Right. And right. We, do, we do just meet the need. It may be a one-time, you know, one and done, uh-huh. or it may be a long-term, but God will supply. God will take care of it. He'll yeah. meet that need. Yeah, and I shouldn't be afraid of that, should no, I? No, 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 not at all. Right, right. You know, so what I find interesting is that Jesus chose a Samaritan to be the protagonist in the story. Do you think, I mean, that wasn't by accident, was it? No, and you have to, you really have to get into the first century history yeah. to understand Samaritans were hated right. by the Jews. And you know, if you look at a map, even geographically, Samaria is just north of Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. And when Jews were traveling from down south in Jerusalem up to Galilee, which was north, well, right in the middle of 
that between Jerusalem and Galilee was Samaria. People would literally, rather than doing the easy route straight through Samaria, they would they would cross over the Jordan River right. on the east side, travel up, add miles and miles, and we're talking about walking. Yeah, miles and miles to their trip just to avoid stepping on the despised Samaritan uh. soil. I, I love the fact, and this isn't the only time, Sean. No. Yeah. Jesus loves to use the down and out, the, the despised, the rejects as heroes in his story. Yeah. We, you know, we saw it with the, the unjust steward. Yes. Talk about a strange selection of heroes. It really is. But yeah. Je- and I think Jesus likes to do it for shock value, <clears throat> number one. But he's also communicating a very important principle in his kingdom. In his kingdom, there is no partiality. Yeah, pedigree doesn't get you into his kingdom. Mm. Doesn't do it. Yeah, it's are you willing to put your faith in the king? Yeah, and you know the the, the Jewish leaders they had a problem with submitting to Jesus as king. Yeah. So Jesus said, "Listen, you may be a Sadducee, a Pharisee, you may know the law, every little jot and tittle. Guess what? That will not get you into my." kingdom yeah it's people like the samaritan who demonstrate their faith and good works those are the ones i want in my kingdom i I find it interesting that that even this expert of the law said uh um, who can inherit eternal life as if i'm going to get this because i was just born into it and so i don't have to work at it so i'm going to find out now see if he knows and and uh and of course wow was his was his world rocked and i also love the fact that um, I love that that Jesus did choose these odd characters as protagonists mm-hmm. to show that he intends to fully transform people. I mean, don't we? Don't, isn't that why we love hero stories? Because we see in these these people that uh, that's not me. I wish that were me. Mm-hmm. And Jesus is saying, "Yeah, I'm, I have every intention of making that you." Yeah, and that's where, again that's where the window becomes a mirror. Yeah, and you say. Ooh, I like that guy in the story. And then you look in the mirror and say, is there similarity or difference? <laughs> All right. Well, Jesus points out the problem that, that not only was this, this guy, this poor guy, he was robbed, beaten, left for dead, but he was also avoided by the people who, I guess, presumably knew better. So, I mean, actually, I don't know. It, it's, maybe it's a fair question to ask. I mean, did they know better? Should, should, should they have known better? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And this is a great example of where religion made no difference in their life. Yeah. It was all head knowledge and it never translated into their feet and their hands. Uh, their their religion, <clears throat> even though it was the correct religion, you know, on paper, you know, Judaism, it was the correct religion. Yes. But it, it had not filtered down to make a practical difference in their lives. And again, when we read this part of the story, don't just look through the window, look at the mirror and say, how often do I do the same thing? Yeah. It's so easy for us to throw rocks, you know, at the at the, the priest and the Levite yeah. for, well, I can't believe they're so arrogant, walked right by this poor guy. How many times do we walk right by a need it's true. and say, I sure hope somebody comes along and meets that need. Yeah. I'd love to, but I'm on my way to church. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's just, there's that incongruity. Yeah. There. But that's why the parable is so powerful. 
it continues to hook us. Yeah. And we get caught. If we're honest, we have to say, I do the same thing. You know, sometimes people will, how often do you get a call, right? A phone call saying, Rick, I think you ought to do this. <laughs> right here on my, on my desk right now, I have a post-it note. I got a call this morning and it was, hey, Pastor Rick, would you take care of this? Well, now I have to decide, am I going to be the priest, the Levite, or the Good Samaritan? But I, I remember you gave the challenge, and it's it's the correct challenge, that, hey, if uh, if something comes across your desk or comes across your life and you know you can do something about it, don't call me. You be the instrument of righteousness. You be the extension of the kingdom. And uh, and it's nice to be wanted and needed. And, and honestly, there I get some... Strokes, you know, I, I feel pretty good when I can come to somebody's rescue, but somebody else needs to know the the happiness, the joy of being the Samaritan and the hero in somebody else's story. Absolutely, you're right on track. So, um, you said that that uh, compassion demands that we not circumvent. So, let's say that I totally agree, and I do. But let, let's say that I agree that I can't be responsible for everyone. Um, but I can be a good steward of uh, the opportunities within my sphere of influence. So how? You know, what, what do I do? What, what's the opposite of, of don't circumvent? Because <laughs> I, I think that a lot of us struggle with, how do I get there? I would say in our culture today, the number one <laughs> barrier or obstacle to being the Good Samaritan is the rapid pace of our lives. Huh. You know, think about, you know, you're driving down the road. If you're driving down the road at 10 miles an hour, you're going to see things a lot better than if you're driving 80 miles an hour. You look Mm -hmm. out the window at 80, everything's real blurry. Mm -hmm. But if you slow down, you're going to see things. It's the same in our lives. If you're going 90 miles an hour in your life, you're going to bypass needs every day that you could meet, even... Very quickly, you could meet that need. It requires, to be a good Samaritan, you have to be willing to slow down so you can see the need. And I love when people read read this story this week, and I hope you will. I hope you go read the Good Samaritan story in Ruth. Mm-hmm. That you will notice, why did the Samaritan, how, how did he meet that need? It said that he saw the man and had pity on him. Yeah. See, very often when we jump to the word pity, we need to see the word he saw. Ooh. He was slow. He slowed down long. He, he was going slow enough, he actually saw the man, which allowed him to then show pity to the man. And then it said he went over and bandaged the wounds and put oil. That personal touch. Yeah. So it means that we have to slow down so we can see the need. And then we have to do the personal touch. Yeah. That's what... And, and again, you know, we just talked about it. When you see a need, don't call the pastor. Yeah. Don't say, oh, yeah, the church ought to meet this need. You are the you church. Are church. Yes. So you meet that need. Don't call the professionals <laughs> to come in. Uh, meet that need. Excellent. Excellent. You know, I, I, I wonder, might it help to go to Jesus' teaching when he says, you know, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Um, because I wonder if that admission of my my own spiritual poverty, you know, that that uh, that, that may, maybe that opens the door to his filling. Because that, as you said, I think that that's just profound. Um, 
if I'm not looking, if I don't slow down, I don't know, maybe there's a discipline of slowing down so that I can see the things that are going around me. Yeah, one thing that hit me, Sean, is, you know, sometimes we're going so fast and we don't see a need, or maybe we're going slow enough, we do see a need, but we just, we pass by. It kind of hit me in, in my study do you realize that, that God was the good Samaritan to us? Oh, so God looks mm-hmm. down at us, Sean, and he sees us in our in our sinful state. Yeah. You know, sin has beaten us up, left us for dead on the side of the road. Mm-hmm. So what does God do? Does God look down on the planet and say, well, you know, I've got to run the whole universe. Sorry. No. God became the good Samaritan for us by sending a Savior. Yeah. And you are never more like God than when you are a good Samaritan. Yeah. Because he was the good Samaritan to us. Now he is saying, pay it forward. Yeah, yeah. And I I don't like that because uh, I, I recognize that, you know what? I deserved to get assailed. I deserved to get beat up. I deserved to get left for dead. But thank God for his mercy his kindness, his compassion. Yeah, and uh, that brings back to the point, blessed are the poor in spirit. What's he saying? Happy are those people who realize their spiritual poverty that that really in the story, we're the guy beat up on the side of the road, left for dead. Yeah. That's what sin has done to us. Yeah. And in a, in, a, in a genuine way, God is the good Samaritan walking down the road. Yeah. So is the, is the kingdom secret here, I mean, amongst many things maybe, but is the kingdom secret here really intended to teach me, teach me how to love by exposing my indifference? I think you're exactly right. And, and, and add to that, it exposes our selfishness. Yeah. Uh, it exposes the fact that our lives are out of control, that we're going so fast we can't see needs around us. And in, in fact, so, so often I think people they'll see a need and maybe in their heart they will want to help but they are so committed mm. and, and, and and so invested in selfish interest that they just say I would love to help but I can't wow you know kind of like the, the priest and the Levite man I'd love to help but I got I've got I got religious business to take yeah. care of. Yeah, the Lord's business. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I do. I think it, it it exposes. And there again, the window becomes a mirror. Wow. Well, boy, Rick, great message. Okay, well, it's time for us to attend to Rick's Quote of the Week. Okay, I've got a funny one for you this week. And in a way, it, it kind of connects to the Good Samaritan story and kind of shows the, the way not to respond. Okay, uh-huh. so, so here's the quote. Sean, before you judge someone, walk a mile in their shoes. And after that, who cares? They're a mile away and you've got their shoes. <laughs> okay, okay, let's follow the Good Samaritan, not the quote of the week. Okay, good one, good one. All right. Well, finally, what's what's uh, what's coming up here, Grace? Hey, let me mention a couple of things for our audience. First of all, Kingdom Secrets continues this Sunday on the topic of productivity. Ooh. And so we're going to look at the the parable of the fig tree. 
that has confused and bothered people for centuries. Mm. We're going to see if we can understand what was Jesus really saying in the parable of the fig tree and how does it still speak to uh, Christians and the church today? Well, that's fantastic because I love fig newtons. Oh, yeah, yeah. We're not going to talk about that. Oh, wrong one. Sorry, sorry. Mm. Hey, the second thing, if you'll let me, throw this out. I, I know many of you in our audience, and maybe some have not heard of community Bible study. I've been a part of community Bible study for over 30 years. Oh my goodness, yeah, so, super long. It's a wonderful disciplined 30-week Bible study. Because of the pandemic, we had to take a year off. Oh. Well, the good news, we've gotten the, we have the green light, and so we're going to do a 30-week study, Sean, of the Gospel of John. And oh we're going goodness. to begin the September 7th. It's the day after Labor Day. I would love to invite people. It's, I've, I tell people all the time, if I ever find a Bible study better than community Bible study, I'll join it. Oh, my goodness. But I've never found one better. It's just a great study. And you can learn all about it. Just go online, community Bible study, and Google it and see what okay. you find. I'll make sure I put the link in there. Oh, so. hey, that'd be great. What days do you meet, Rick? We meet, uh, our group meets on Tuesday evening. There's also a day group in uh-huh. town that meets, I believe, on Wednesday. Okay. And it's for women and also has a children's component. Oh, my goodness. Ours meets on Tuesday evenings, and it's for adults, men and women. Uh-huh. And you, you do a personal study. You do a, Then you bring it, you come together and have a small group study. Uh-huh. You have a message, a lecture study. That's what I do. I get to give the lecture oh, fantastic. on that. And uh, also, Teresa McKee is my partner in crime. Oh, all and, right. Yeah, and I know a lot of people love her teaching. Yeah. So she's my assistant. And then there's also a commentary attached to the lesson. So it's a great way to really get the Word of God into your life and hopefully out as you serve the community. And so if they go to the link uh, that I'll provide, will they also get the location? Yeah, there's actually a search component. So you okay. can just click in you know, uh, Roswell, New Mexico, and it will pop up the, the uh, opportunities here in Roswell and have a register. Okay, all right. Well, Rick, thanks so much for your time. Thanks for spending time with us today. We hope that you've been encouraged and better informed. We love to get feedback, so send us an email with your comments and suggestions to info at roswellgrace.com. If you like what we're doing here at Living Your Dash, please hit the subscribe button, leave us a review on your platform, and share this with your friends. For more information about Grace Community Church, please point your browser to roswellgrace.com. Until next time, I'm Marie, and this is Living Your Dash.